Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. So today I'm going to continue in a, a series calling it The Witness Within, talking about the Holy Spirit. Last week we came off of Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Pentecost is, uh, it just means 50, 50 days. But um, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came out of heaven. And, you know, there's, there's just some eternal elements of the Trinity that we will never understand until we're there. And I don't even know that we'll be able to search the depths of it even there. Amen? That, that is an eternal truth and reality of the identity, the dynamic identity of God that we just get to explore and enjoy. So to try to piece it all out, you know, I, I just don't go there. Uh, people will ask, well, should you worship God? Should you worship the Father? Should you worship Jesus? Should you worship the Holy Spirit? Do you ask this? Do you pray to this one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and even when I pray, I mean, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. That's a Father, God, eternal King statement. That's not a Son statement. That's a God statement. So, you know, you don't have to sort all that stuff out. Just, just, let it, just let it be true in your reality. But what is true is that an aspect of God, His Spirit, His life-giving, animating force, He has taken that bit and put it in us. You know, you think about that. You think about the kind of being that He is, and there's only one of them. He's the one true God, right? But He is a personal being, meaning He exists. He's there. And there's only one of him, and he's God, and he's eternal and pure, and at his core, he's power and love and light and justice and all of that. And it's as if he took part of that, not emptying himself like he did with Christ, but an aspect of him where it didn't deplete him, and he put it on the inside of us when we said yes to Jesus. And it's, it's like a marriage covenant. And the more I think about it, the more I just see creatively into it. You know, when we say yes to Jesus and you are born again, you are made new, you are a new creation, you are saved, however you want to say it, that it's like a marriage ceremony happens where his wedding ring is his spirit claiming you for eternity. And you are bound to him. You are joined to him. Like in a marriage where the two become one, we are eternally co-mingled with God. And then he makes us great and precious promises in Christ so we would be partakers of his divine nature. It's, it's incredible, really, what we are. And it's hard to wrap our minds around because we look at our temporary identity. We look at our issues, our flesh, our death, our, our problems. And, and most of the Christian world looks at Christians through temporary, broken perspectives, when we should be looking at each other as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're the healed. You're the holy one. You're the saved. You're a child of God, perfected forever. You're holy and unblameable. Jesus having washed you and cleansed you and presented you to the Father, safe and secure with Christ in God forever. Amen? Amen. 
And so, I mean, you know, in this series, one of the things I'm saying is I want to elevate our perspective of ourselves. Now, you can either get carnal and go get prideful, or you can say, thank you, Lord, because it's not me. And so, you know, I just, like I shared last week during worship, I just kind of had this image and this picture of the statue of David carved by Michelangelo. And, you know, the story Michelangelo found this discarded piece of marble, but yet when he saw it, he, it the story goes that he could see the statue that he was going to carve in it before he ever even started working on it. And the story is that he just took carved away what didn't need to be there because of the vision that he saw inside that rock already. And then I, and, then, and so I was thinking about that. And then during worship, I just had this picture of that statue of David. Was he standing kind of like this or something? Can you see him? I don't know. We could have put it up. I should have put it up there. But imagine if that statue woke up and then looked at itself and saw its carved perfection and then just thought, man, Michelangelo did an amazing job. Are you kidding me? Look at, the, look at that definition there. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? And he just started noticing. It was like he woke up to righteousness. He woke up to the perfected reality that he is. David d- just marveling at the work of the creator that made him into that exquisite masterpiece. And that's us. That is us. If you don't look at yourself and realize you are a masterpiece of the creator God, then you're looking at something other than who you are in spirit. And I'm not saying to ignore the other stuff because you got to clean that stuff up. Maybe carve some stuff off of it too. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> me too. But, but, that's, you know, we'll, that, that is the core of what our messages will always be about. Helping you identify with who you are in Christ, put on the new man in your mind so that it affects every other aspect of your being, and then you live out of that identity under the power of his grace. And then I started thinking about Gloria's helping me uh, shape my series, Know Your Enemy, into a book about the tactics, the origin of the demons and kind of the tactics of the enemy. And I just, I was reading about Lucifer and his fall and uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah. And it's as if Lucifer did the opposite. He looked at himself and how how majestic and beautiful and amazing he was. And he took credit for it to the point where ultimately his big downfall was, I am God. In fact, I will overthrow that God, the one true God. Can you imagine being so prideful because of the identity that you've assumed and then you become your own God? Pride comes before a fall. And again, I'm not trying to attack back to my former comments, but isn't it interesting that it is a pride movement? I'm not saying they're all satanic, demonic, possessed people. I'm not trying to attack or any of that kind of stuff. But, but it's interesting that a movement that is rooted in sexual desire is named pride. And it's all now about assuming an identity. Well, this is who I am. It's like, it, it, you, we see it so clearly, don't we? Don't we see it? And, and, and then, but, and so, the, so, you know, don't, don't step back and point the finger and get mad at that. 
just recognize it. Recognize it and recognize, okay, Lord, I see it. And look at it like a chessboard, okay, strategically. What's my move here? Because I see it. The fact the game's already won by Christ, but there's people that will fall along the way that we can help. That, that's, the, that's the thought I had. That was the last thought. I knew, I knew there was one more thought I had on it. It was rolling around in there somewhere. Because a lot of times the church, Christians, will sit back and say, well, you know what, the God of this world, the devil or whatever, he's doing his thing and whatever happens is going to happen and, and I know who wins in the end and we'll just let it all play out. Well, there's people that are destroyed in the process because we don't say anything. Yes, there is an end. Yes, we are in the midst of the wheat and the tares and the tares are growing up and they look just like the wheat according to Jesus' end time prophecies. But it, it's like, you know what? you can save some of that wheat along the way. You can influence. You can save that wheat a lot of heartache just by being willing. Amen? I'm not trying to convince you to keep coming to this church. I'm looking at you as if you're a believer and you are tasked with the assignment to go out into the world and bring the gospel to people. Amen? Like, like I feel like this is a... This, to me, church is predominantly believers strategizing to make an impact in the world. Amen? But I'm going to build you up in who you are along the way because that's where your power comes from. That's where your, your, your faith gets built up because you, you're, you're reminded of who you are in Christ and what he did. Amen? So that when you walk out of here, it's not, well, I really liked the message today. I don't, I, don't, I don't, you know what? I don't really think he should be talking about those kind of things in church. If that's how you think when you walk out of here, you're welcome to it. That's fine. But I'm going to challenge you to walk out of here, chew the wheat, spit out the chaff, and, and, and be, be equipped and empowered to represent Christ out there. Amen? Amen. A powerful church. And why are we powerful? Why are we powerful? Amen, 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 which is the rest of what I'm going to look at today. Why are we powerful? How are we powerful? We're powerful because the spirit of the living God has joined himself to us. He has put his spirit on the inside of us. He has fulfilled the prophecies that he made through Jeremiah and Ezekiel that there would be a time coming when he would give us a new heart and he would put his spirit on the inside of us. And then we would forever then live obedient from the heart naturally rather than trying to just, nat just uh, perform rules and commands. Now, it's, we desire to obey God naturally. It's actually natural for you to obey God now because you've been recreated into the kind of being that just knows and wants to, and has spiritual desires. Amen? So Pentecost, the church gathering, after Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit fell and they were endued with power is the fulfillment of God saying there's time, a time coming where the new covenant will be cut in the blood of the Messiah. And one of the main tenets of that new covenant is I will put my spirit in you. God puts his spirit, his power, his life force, his knowledge, his wisdom, his essence in you and joins himself to you. And you now can actually live by the power of that spirit on the inside of you. 
you can not only do amazing things, not only overcome those things that suck you down into sin, but you can live just like Jesus on this planet. Are you kidding me? First and foremost, walking in love. You know, and so let me kind of build this a little bit. The, the Pentecostal mindset, kind of typical charismatic mindset, makes receiving the Spirit all about one gift, and that's tongues. And I pray in tongues. I encourage you to pray in tongues. If you said yes to Jesus, you are born again, you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, and you have that capacity to operate in that, in that gift. Um, I'm not going to force it on you, just like I'm not going to force you to believe that you can be healed. And I'm not going to force you to be kind, but look, look, can I ramble for a minute? Let me ramble for a minute, just kind of get these thoughts out, and then I'll read some scriptures that'll put it all, shape it all up for us. But, you know, so when, when you say yes to Jesus, then the fulfillment of his prophecy of the time under the new covenant when he would put his spirit within you happens to you. God seals you with his spirit. He puts his spirit in you. He baptizes you, he immerses you, he fills you, all of that. You get the Spirit of God when you are born again. You're not waiting for some other time to get more of the Spirit or get something that you don't have, you know, because it's traditional within charismatic and Pentecostal circles to say you're born again, but you're waiting and tarrying for the baptism of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit. And you hear it, you said, have you received, this is the question that gets asked. I acknowledge that you're born again, but have you received the baptism of the Spirit? And it's presented as if it's something that you don't have, but I'm telling you that you do. And let me just put up, put up the passage on um, Acts 4. I'll jump around here. Uh, this is Peter. This is, this is well after Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell and it says that this is the time of, that Joel prophesied about. This is Peter later, well outside of the upper room, after the Holy Spirit fell. And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of, of the people and elders of Israel, da, 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 and then he goes on. But I wanted to focus on this. You know, this, this is maybe days later even. Did Peter get filled again? Let me, let me, let me rephrase it this way. Did the Spirit leave Peter, and then he had to get it again? No. no. Did, did he leak, and then he had to get filled up again? No. I'm, not, I'm not phrasing it the right way. What I'm trying to say is, did he not have, it have to get it again? Just to say it plainly. Are you with me? The, the, the phrase, filled with the Spirit, is an active experiencing of the Spirit that's in you. Amen? So to be filled with the Spirit to be baptized with the Spirit, to be immersed with the Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit fell out of heaven and then upon all flesh, and all flesh could say yes to the Holy Spirit and be indwelt by it or born again or not. In fact, I'll say that's what makes you born again is the Spirit takes up residence in you and does the sanctifying, does the cleansing, does the removing of the root of sin and, and then makes you that vessel that can receive the new heart and be joined by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Are you with me? It's just like this picture. It's like you either have the Spirit or you don't. Now, there is an element of being endued with power or not, and there is an element of... I'm jumping around, but let me, let me read this one now. 
in Acts 2, let's go backwards, Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house they were sitting in. Um, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's not the one I was talking about. That's a good one, though. That's what we're talking about, just so you know. Anyway, I actually meant to read Luke 24, 49. And this is in the... We have the ESV, right? Okay, yeah. I picked the ESV because of this one word. Luke 24, 49. Now, okay, so the point of where, why we're going into this is I'm not, I'm not trying to teach you a lesson about Pentecost. I'm framing the idea that we can live empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can choose to turn away from sin. You can choose to be in uh, panic over your finances, or you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit and be taught and led how to take your next step. You could be in a situation where you're in a conversation where it's really challenging for you to even know what to say and intentionally choose to open your heart and mind to the Holy Spirit and be empowered in that moment to say the right thing or even lay hands on somebody and something supernatural and amazing happens. You have the power to make that choice to be set upon by the Holy Spirit to move and minister in power. Really, first and foremost, for you to experience fruit. But then secondly, for you to put on the Holy Spirit, put on that power and move. Now, I get that there's a lot of powerless Christians out there. And I get that there are super, supernatural believing ministries and churches that recognize that a lot of Christians don't operate in power and, and run this improper mathematical equation in their mind and think, well, if you're not doing it, then you need something that you don't previously already have. But to me, the heart aspect is what makes it make sense. Is your heart receptive to allowing that power that's in you to come upon you to move in this? Man, I'm preaching like five sermons, but... All right, so Luke 24, 49... And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, this is important because he's speaking to people. If you, if you know the story, Jesus had already breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit, right? But there must have been some type of thing about the Holy Spirit being poured out in the earth where he could be upon people. So he was already in these people. Was he not? Because Jesus said, I breathe on you, receive the Holy Spirit. That's most likely when they got born again. But after the Holy Spirit's poured out, you can receive the Spirit and be endued with power all in the same time. And just because you don't instantly start praying in tongues when you get born again doesn't mean you did it wrong. Tongues is not the only evidence of you having the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. I'm interrupting myself, but this is an important point here. Let me just tell you, the fact that you are frustrated with your children or your spouse or your boss or your siblings or yourself, and you can stop and change your mind or repent inwardly and then experience the grace of God for kindness 
and gentleness to rise up on the inside of you, to soften that hardness, that edginess. Are you with me? Like, like, you know you can do that, right? Like, you don't have to be mad all the time. You can stop. Turn to God. One of the great ways to do it is cultivate compassion for the person that's in front of you. Kind of change, put on a different lens and look at them. God loves this. And, and let your, you know, just relax. Let your heart soften toward them. Let compassion rise up on the inside of you for them. Are you with me? That is just as much evidence of you being baptized in the Holy Spirit as praying in tongues is. Because it's still a function of the Holy Spirit empowering you beyond your capacity in that moment. I'm not trying to invalidate or minimize tongues. I'm just saying, let's not be so religious about one thing. And those of you that are on our ministry team, I'm, I'm building this into our, our ministry team training. You know, my, my, our goal is not to grab a hold of your head and go, have you been baptized with the Spirit? Let's go. You know, I want you praying in tongues because it's a powerful gift, but we're not going to do that to you. All right. There's a lot more to be said on that, but let me just say this. Back to Luke 29, verse 49, when, it, when he says, but stay in the city until you are clothed. Now, other translations say endued with power. Endued is actually a transliteration. And, you know, you see this a lot, and I bring up this point a lot, but endued uh, is a transliteration. In other words, they just spelled it in English from the original Greek. The Greek word there is, I think it's enduo. So they just changed it into an English form, endued, enduo into endued, without translating. In other words, without actually telling you what it means. It'd be like me saying a, a, a Spanish word, and you don't know a lick of Spanish, but I say it in an English way. You don't know what that word means, but if I translate it, then you're like, oh, now I know what that means. Well, the word, when Jesus talks about being endued with power, he's talking about it coming upon you. And he's telling his disciples that he had already breathed and given them the Spirit. So all that to say, you can make it, once you're born again. Now, if, and, there, and this does happen. I've seen it, and I've heard some, some of y'all's testimony. It, most, it's, it's not. I don't, golly. Do I need to interpret golly? Are there any northerners in here that don't know? I can, I, can, I can translate instead of transliterate golly. But I, I, I pick these bones because I want this stuff to be clear because I know that a lot of us come out of traditional teaching and, and, and kind of once you clear these things out of the way, you either take your excuses away or you take the confusion away. I want to take the confusion away so that you're left with the fact that you don't need anything else from God but to be open to yielding to Him and Him empowering you and you stepping out. There's not, you are fully qualified because you've said yes to Christ and you have the fullness of the Godhead bodily on the inside of you. You lack nothing. Amen? Don't let yourself or the enemy tell you that you don't have what is needed in any given situation because you have, the God on, you have God on the inside of you. Amen? Quit letting the voices of the past and the present tell you you don't know 
You're behind the eight ball. I wish somebody would have told me this. I wish somebody would have told me that. I didn't know. Now, you know, my people perish for lack of knowledge. There's a good thing about knowledge. But you've got God on the inside of you. He knows everything. Amen? So, so uh, be encouraged, but also feel the responsibility of that. You don't have the luxury to say, well, I didn't know. You've got a Bible and you've got the Holy Spirit. Amen? So my Pentecost message is not really get you praying in tongues, although I want you to if you're not. It's are you yielding to the Holy Spirit in any given moment? Because that's where the power is. In, in, In an actual, real, practical way where you're strengthened in that moment. Let's look, at, let's look at this uh, story from Paul here, 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Man, there's so much meat in this that I could teach on, but starting in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh by who? A messenger of who? Amen. To harass me. This, this was not from God. This is from the enemy. So to keep me from becoming exalted is the proper word here. And right before this, Paul's talking about, I've, had, I've been to heaven, I've seen these amazing things, stuff that I can't even talk to you about is so amazing. And I could boast in that. I could boast in those revelations. But the enemy sees all this stuff too, and he's coming at me, and I'm choosing to let it serve as a reminder that I'm not going to boast in these amazing revelations. But God, would you take this thing away from me? Like, why would he ask God to take it away if it was something that he was supposed to embrace, right? But watch, that's not even the point. Here's the point of it. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, most people, whatever comes next here, no. And we talk about this in here, but what he said was, my grace is sufficient for you for my, my, everybody, my is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. You can use those words interchangeably. The Christian world has has gotten what grace is wrong. When you say, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, they hear you say, I'm not under law, I'm under mercy. So even if I sin, it doesn't matter because God's going to forgive me. But what it's actually saying is, and that's the, the, put that up for just a second, Romans 6, 14. This is a powerful statement. This is a statement in recognition of Pentecost. In other words, being filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not under, uh, sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law, you're under grace. I'm just telling you, this, this is something that you need to sharpen. I'm sorry, I'm really throwing a lot at you, but I'm just telling you. Sometimes I sit and I'll study these sermons out and I'm like, I got to say all this in one week because it'll take me a month and I want to say something else next week. So y'all, are you good? Are you with me? This is one of those scriptures that you as a finished work believing Christian should master and be able to clearly articulate to people. Because when you talk about grace, when you talk about God loving you no matter what, when you talk about being forgiven, when you talk about even your future sins being forgiven, 
you really need to make sure that you understand how to explain this to people because they don't know. 50-year Christians don't know this, and it's so simple. There's a couple of factors here. One is, like I previously mentioned, people don't know the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is you've done something wrong. God chooses to forgive you even though you don't deserve the forgiveness. And he's not going to punish you even though you deserve the punishment. Why? Because Jesus already paid for it. But grace in this situation, so you're not under the power of sin. You're under the power of grace. And grace is power. Go back to the 2 Corinthians passage there in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 9. God himself says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So you got to know the difference between grace and mercy because people will misunderstand. And then, and then you got to know that you're not being held under the law for performance. So you're complete in Christ already. Christ gave you his righteousness now, that does not mean that you don't live under the ordinance of God and commandments. It just means God's not holding you to those for righteousness any longer. The righteousness issue is settled because you're righteous because of what Christ did and you have faith in that. Amen? Now, he continues in, verse, in Romans 6 and he says, because the, the, the legalistic or immature mindset hears that and says, well, you're saying sin doesn't matter. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just settling the issue of your acceptance with God, first and foremost. Done. In Christ, you're accepted. In Christ, you're complete in Him. Amen? In Christ, you are as righteous as you ever will be. Amen? Done. And what that means is God is now no longer judging your performance to determine whether or not you're accepted in Him. So that's issue, that issue is resolved. Don't ever worry about that ever again. But because of that, now you actually are empowered by grace to obey Him better than you ever could in your own strength under the law. That's what's missing. Grace not, doesn't empower you to keep the commandments. Grace empowers you to live even above it because Jesus raised the level of the law to the heart to a level of impossibility. He said, you guys, said, you, know, you guys say they're guilty if uh, they commit adultery. Well, I say you're guilty even if you've lusted. Well, nobody. Are you with me? Was that clear enough? Okay. But let's look at this again. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then, and then a revelation. Paul gets it. He's like, oh, okay. So... God saying, my grace is sufficient for you, is not God telling Paul, no, I'm not going to remove the thorn because you need to suffer a little bit more. It's God saying, my power in you is how you overcome this issue. And so then Paul gets it. He's like, oh man, therefore I boast all the more gladly. I'm going to show me where else I'm weak because then that gives me an opportunity to live by the power of grace which is transformative, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's a whole nother, that's another way of saying being endued with power, being baptized in the Spirit. You know, when, when, you, when, when you can, when, a, when a, an idea or a doctrine doesn't just have one specific outcome in your mind, 
In other words, the baptism of the Spirit, the one-time event that you get the Spirit, then you start praying in tongues. You see baptism of the Spirit in a lot of other areas, like he says here, so that the power of Christ may come upon me, so that I may be filled with the Spirit, so that I may be baptized in the Spirit, so that I may live continually under the influence of the Spirit. Are you with me? But if your doctrine of the baptism of the Spirit is the one time, one thing, one event, what? I hope that's helpful for some of you because we get stuck in that stuff. Verse 10, he says, for, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weakness, insults. Now, see, the meek and mild and humble and I'm a worm and God barely loves me mindset thinks that Paul's conceding to the thorn and adopting a contrite mindset to give space for it but that's not what he's doing. He's just recognizing, I don't care if I'm strong or if I'm weak, because I know a secret now. I've got this revelation now. Especially in my weakness, there's space for God to be powerful in my life. Amen? And then Titus 2. This is what grace does. Again, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to expand the idea of what the effects of Pentecost, the effects of being endued with power, the effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and pull that down for just a second, because what, what grace is, it, it, it's like the vitamins that come out of your food that then nourish your blood and your organs and your eyes and your fingernails and all that stuff, right? Like you eat your food and then it's not even the food, it's what your body does to the food and then pulls out of it what you need to then feed your body the amino acids and the protein and all that structure to build the health, right? To me, that's what grace is. Grace extrapolates or assimilates or transduces the spirit into effectual strength and power. Are you with me? So it's not just this nebulous idea of God, how do I, I I'm, I'm sad, I need some joy. I'm broke, I need some money. I'm angry, I need some peace. I'm dumb, I need some, I'm not pointing at you, I mean. <laughs> There's an actual effect of the Spirit in us, which is grace. But it's up to us. It's up to us to nourish it. It's up to us to feed on it. It's up to us to turn to Him. He's not just out there floating. Spirit is not just an idea. There's substance to it. There's weight to it. And even more eternally than this temporary realm. Like if we had the, the physics to be able to see that level of energy and engage it, man, which we actually do because we have the mind of Christ, right? But watch what else grace does. So in other words, this active agent... So, so this, this false idea of to criticize a heavy grace focus, it just doesn't understand what grace... Look what grace does. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching. Say teaching. teaching. Say grace teaches. grace teaches. Okay, here's what it teaches. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. You see that? That we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. Grace will teach you how to do that. And, and, and this is 
the challenge that we have to every kind of sin issue in this earth to present the truth and then, because I get these emails. I get, you know, there's people that watch online, people that come and they email or they ask me, you know, my son is transitioning. My grandson is thinking this. My, my whatever has fully embraced the lifestyle now. How do I help them? They ask me questions. What do I do? Well, listen, we can do nothing but that person, I don't, I don't care what, whatever any person is tempted with. Because we, we look at some of the issues in our society and we lose hope, don't we? We think, oh, how, I don't know, how in the world could that person ever change? Look at them. Except the Spirit of God, Amen. right? The Spirit of the living God is powerful to work on the inside of somebody's mind and heart and transform them. Do you believe that? I don't care if it's somebody that has been locked in a cage for 10 years and abused and whatever, horrific, and they come out with a vengeance to take, you know, take it out on society, and the Spirit of God can change that person in an instant. Now, if you have the mindset, oh, man. Can I give you one more? Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but you guys know who Matt Walsh is? Matt Walsh made the documentary, What is a Woman? If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. It's infuriating, but, but it's clarifying. Uh, so, but Matt Walsh is a staunch Calvinist. Calvinists believe that everything that's happening, God predetermined ahead of time for it to happen. And then one step away from that says, okay, well, if it happened, God could have done something about it. And since it happened, then that means he chose not to do something about it because he's sovereign and he's in control and all of that stuff and all of that. Honestly, and I, man, I, I see it more clearly than ever before. To me, the God is in control mindset is one of the most destructive doctrines of demons I've ever seen. So Matt Walsh made this incredible documentary and is fighting against the mutilation of our children, rightfully so. And he's on Joe Rogan's podcast, Pack Podcast, and getting down to the nuts and bolts where he really could make an impact here with Joe and the millions of listeners about the trans issue. And then Joe says, well, but from your perspective, uh, you would say that God made them that way, right? And his Calvinistic answer says, well, no, yeah, you know, you're right. Yes, God made them that way. And it's like millions of listeners. I knew it. That's why I'm not going to end that. That didn't make sense. And probably just lost them. Are you, you know? So what's the solution? I don't know. Let me get back. Let me get back on track where I was going. I don't want to just preach identifying the bad guy. I want to walk out of here feeling, not, not just, but, but convinced that if that person is just the tiniest bit receptive to the Spirit of God, that we have such confidence in the Word of God in that person's heart to do its work 
that they have revelation after revelation and experience transformation and total deliverance. The Word of God is powerful enough to do that, especially when it's delivered on the carrier signal of love to get into that person's heart and mind. Truth and love, man. And there are people out there that love their darkness, and that's just the way it is, and there's nothing you can do about it. But, man, I'm telling you, we are designed to host the Word of God. It's worth it. It's worth it. Let's not just give up. Let's not just turn the world over to the enemy, think that we're just going to sit in our well-lit, air-conditioned, nice, comfy chair church rooms while the world goes to hell and say, well, I've read the end of the book. Yep, that's what's going to happen. Well, there's people that are being destroyed along the way. You can make a difference in their lives. Amen? And uh, we fund missions that are going all over the world, doing this, you know, trying to reach people and spread the gospel. But there are friend, our, our families and our neighbors don't know. And I'm just, all I'm saying is just be willing to have the conversations. And then if you want to take it a step further, pray that you be led into these types of situations to have these conversations, to know how to communicate the gospel, to know how to Stand for truth, but deliver it in love. Amen? Because, uh, you know, the word is powerful. So, so if, you, if you leave with a parting thought, leave with the confidence, and uh, get your imagination involved, right? Whatever it is, this light, this pill, that if you can just get them to be receptive to it. You put it on the inside of them and then it just grows and grows and grows and grows. You're a seed planter of the power and the life of God. Don't hold it in. Be willing to open your mouth. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Are you encouraged? And challenged? You coming back next week? Stand up if you would, please, and let's just put our attention on him. Let, let, let's, uh, let's, is Chris in here? Uh, I think he's in kids. He's probably in kids' church. Can you grab, Cody, can you grab his guitar? Just, just set the tone a little bit. Just, just a couple minutes here. I just want to pray. Would you unmute the guitar there, please? So I just want to pray. You know, if you, if you got to go, you can slide out. We love you. Um, be generous. But I just want to pray. And, I, and I, what, I, what, I, what I want you to do is ask the Lord to show you just one step to take. Ask the Lord to show you one step to take. Be, be conscious of the idea that the Spirit of God, if somebody's open and receptive to it, will radically change their lives. And just let God show you the opportunity, the next step. Amen? So let's just do that. Just open your heart to Him. Father, we thank you. We trust you. We love you. We are the body of Christ. And if, and if you're in this room today, there's, there's a last passage. I think it's Romans 10, 9. Is that, is that one still in there? Yep. You can pull it up. If you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus, it's super easy. Just be willing to say yes to him. In fact, let me just ask that. Is there anybody in the room today you've never accepted Christ? You've never been born again? You've never said yes? Just raise your hand. And if you're watching online, there will be a video that comes up, but it's easy to believe that what he did was for you. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Otherwise, just say, I'm saved. 
I have the Spirit of God in me. I have the life of God in me. I have the power of God in me. I have the wisdom of God inside of me. I have the love of God inside of me. I have the knowledge of God inside of me. I have the clarity of God inside of me. I have the perspective of God in me. And I look at people through all of that. And just, just ask him, Father, I thank you. Thank you that you're guiding my steps. Guide me into these opportunities. Show me how to have these conversations. Help me soften my heart toward people. Help me not give up on the world and not be moved by frustration, but be moved by love for people. How else will they know? the, The world will know that we are believers by our love for one another. And then as we unite in our love for them, carrying the truth and carrying the power of God. And just just once again, just see yourself moving through your community, touching your own life, touching your immediate surroundings with your friends and family. And you are light. You have the life of God in you. And at any moment, you are ready and willing and able to interact with people, to give them the love of God. And you're seed planting It's the Spirit of God that does the transforming. It's not you. You're dispersing seeds. You're planting light, planting love to let love do its work. We trust you and we love you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you that your power is in this room manifesting, touching bodies, touching minds. Father, I thank you healing is happening inside of people's bodies, emotional healing in their minds grieving that's happening. Father, I thank you that you're strengthening us. And this is a perfect opportunity. You know, we don't understand it naturally or carnally, but there's spiritual knowledge that you can just open your heart and let God do a work in you. I invite you, Lord. Just invite him. And if you pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. Father, we thank you. Father, I thank you. I give place for your Spirit to move in my life, to transform me to touch those areas of my life. I know more of you praying the Spirit than that. Father, I thank you for your power moving in my life and in my mind. I want to live under your strength, under your guidance, to bring glory to your name. Thank you, Lord. 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 Is there anybody that just needs prayer? You just want somebody to stand and agree? Just lift up your hand. If you need prayer at all, yeah, there's, there's Travis, will you slide over here? Lift up your hand and, and keep it up just so I can see anybody that needs prayer in the room. Anybody else? Are your hands up or are you worshiping? I think she's worshiping. Anybody else? Anybody? Don't be ashamed. Don't be. One person needs prayer. One in the back there. Philip, would you slide back there? Britt, you want to go back there and pray with them? Or are you comfortable with that? If I ever call you out and you're not comfortable with praying for somebody, just, just do this. Just say no. Somebody got mad at me one time. I asked them to pray for them, and they didn't come back. It happened. <laughs> man, just, man, I just see, you know, we, we're a family. We're the body of Christ. Planted in this earth to be a blessing to the nation's to show people the goodness and the kindness and the love of God. 
so that they would know that he loves them and they would embrace his saving power. Well, I thank you for all the people that are watching online and that will hear this and listen to this. And even all those that are going to comment. I love the comments. Just keep them coming, Father. I thank you. I thank you that those people are touched even as we pray for them. And those, these words are pregnant even ahead of time to be a blessing to people, to be a banner of truth. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your life. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Leave with confidence in the word. Amen.